at everyone. This is the uh, question we've been asking as we have been walking through the Gospel uh, of Mark. Uh, who uh, is this? What child is this? And we've been walking with Jesus so that we might know uh, that as he came uh, as a child, as a baby, uh, we want to know who the Lord had for him to be. And so we've been seeing that in word and deed throughout the Gospel of Mark. So I invite you to turn with me uh, to Mark chapter 6. Uh, we'll be reading verses 45 through 56, coming to the end of the, uh, the sixth uh, chapter. Uh, last time we saw in the Gospel uh, of Mark that the one who has come uh, is our compassionate uh, shepherd, compassion for the apostles, compassion for the uh, for the crowds, but he is the one who truly shepherds us and feeds us and uh, gives us the true uh, bread uh, of of life. And so this morning, as we come uh, to Mark six forty five to fifty six, the question in the in the background of our uh, time together in this scripture is: Do we do we recognize this man? Do we recognize this Jesus for for who he is? Having walked with him now quite a while in the Gospel of Mark, uh, having heard his teaching seen his deeds, do we recognize him uh, for who he is? And so this now is the living and abiding word of God as we find it in Mark 6, at verse 45. Immediately, he, that's Jesus, made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, uh, while he dismissed the crowd. This is after the feeding of the 5,000 women and children. And after he had taken leave of them, that is the crowd, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him. And ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came in, wherever he came in villages, cities or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray for help. Heavenly Father, uh, we are helpless Uh, Without you, we are helpless in reading and understanding and uh, taking to heart the scripture uh, without the work of your Holy Spirit in us and among us uh, this morning. And so, Lord, we pray that you would graciously uh, reveal to us the truth, open our eyes, soften our hearts, uh, unstop our ears, uh, that we might truly again hear of Jesus, see Jesus, recognize Jesus and worship Jesus. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, it's said of Charles Spurgeon, uh, the great uh, 19th century preacher, that by the 
the mid-1860s, Spurgeon suffered uh, with very painful uh, gout. Sometimes it would over, overwhelm him. You never know it by his production of so many sermons and preaching to thousands of people uh, every week, several times a week. But he was a very sick man. Uh, we're told that through the years, uh, his gout intensified and it was accompanied by kidney disease and rheumatism. And along with physical challenges, we're also told, and he tells us actually, that he uh, often suffered a crippling a depression uh, that at times, he says, left him weeping with no explanation as to why. Just weeping. Said Spurgeon, I'm sometimes lifted to the very heavens. And then I go down to the deep. I'm at one time brought bright with joy and confidence, and at another time, dark as midnight, with doubts and fears. Now, is this Spurgeon who said this? I bear my witness that the worst days I've ever had have turned out to be my best days. And when God has seemed most cruel to me, he has then been most kind. If there's anything in this world for which I would bless them, said Spurgeon, more than for anything else, it is for pain and affliction. I am sure that in these things, the richest, tenderest love has been manifested to me. And then he's got this picture for us. Our father's wagons rumble most heavily when they're bringing us the richest freight of the bullion of his grace. Wagons of suffering, but they're bringing uh, all sorts of Bars of, of, of grace to us. Love letters, said Spurgeon, from heaven are often sent in black-edged envelopes. The cloud that is black with horror is big with mercy. Fear not the storm. It brings healing in its wings. And when Jesus is with you, said Spurgeon, in the vessel, the tempest only hastens the ship to its desired haven. Which is why the disciples uh, must have wondered why Jesus was sending them away. If it's best to be with Jesus. And uh, in fact, Jesus, of course, called the disciples to follow him, uh, to be with him. Uh, a little strange that in this passage, uh, the disciples are sent away. Well, you might remember in the last passage that we read, um, there was a time there when Jesus actually called his disciples to come away and rest for a while. They didn't really get that rest as they landed on the shore. Uh, but now Jesus sends the disciples away. He sends the crowd away. And Jesus himself does make time to be alone with the Father. Immediately, verse 45, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida. This is Bethsaida of Galilee. Uh, there are a number of Bethsaidas. Bethsaida means house of fishing. And so there's more than one Bethsaida in the Bible, uh, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he taken leave of the crowd, he went up on the mountain uh, to pray. Uh, you might remember this is how Jesus, of course, really started his ministry in Mark 1, 35, and rising very early in the morning. While it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. Uh, and there he prayed. And of course, later in Mark, we'll find Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane uh, to the Father. There's these times in the scriptures where these, there's these beautiful pictures of Jesus, the Son, alone with the Father. Some prayers are recorded in the Bible, but uh, often they are, they are not. But this prayer time uh, will be uh, ended uh, and um, it will really be interrupted uh, by his disciples uh, in need. Verse 47. 
When evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he, that Jesus, was alone on the land, and he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them, and about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them. The Romans divided the night into watches of three hours, beginning at 6 p.m., and so the fourth watch would be somewhere between three and six in the morning. He came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him uh, and were terrified. And so Jesus has sent out his uh, disciples out on the sea, uh, but uh, here again they're out on the sea and find themselves uh, terrified uh, at the sight of what they believe to be uh, a ghost. Uh, John, telling this uh, story, uh, tells us uh, not only that they were making headway painfully, it actually means they were straining, uh, straining at the oars, uh, straining against uh, the wind that presumably had come up. John said the seas were getting rough, the wind was blowing. Matthew tells us that uh, the boat was battered by the waves. It was evening, it was dark, and Jesus was not with them. Main point here, of course, is simply that the disciples are in trouble uh, they're in trouble again. Uh, making headway painfully, like I said, straining at the oars. The word there for straining or making headway painfully is tormented or harassed. They were uh, harassed and tormented uh, by what was going on. Matthew actually uses this verb with reference to the centurion's boy who was fearfully uh, tortured. Uh, the demons say to Jesus at one point, do you come to torture us? Before the appointed time, they knew that Jesus was the judge. And so it's a strong word, uh, making headway painfully. It's, it's, it's torture, it's, it's torment as they're seeking to make their way against the wind. The wind's against them. The Bible says he came to them, walking on the sea in the midst of this great difficulty. Uh, in Mark, it says he meant to pass by them. It just means he was about to pass their way uh, or come beside them. It doesn't mean that Jesus had an intention of going uh, past them, not to help them, because the whole story begins with Jesus seeing their trouble uh, and him coming to them. Uh, so he's not trying to avoid them. It's more Mark speaking from uh, the perspective of the disciples in the, in the boat, that they saw something that looked like it was going to be passing by them, but Jesus comes, uh, but they don't, of course, recognize him uh, because uh, he, of course, is walking on the sea or coming to them across the Sea of Galilee. And so to them, we're reported here in Mark that it appeared to them to be a ghost. It's the word for phantasm. It's not the word for spirit. It's the word for apparition, uh, some kind of uh, unworldly um, uh, sight. They are, the Bible says, terrified by what they see. It's interesting the word terrified when they see uh, it's Jesus, but they don't see him yet. Uh, the word terrified there is used of Herod when uh, Herod has the, uh, the wise men come to him and say, uh, we've come to find the one who was born to be king of the Jews. And the Bible says Herod was terrified as well as all the people in the city. Uh, terrified. At the thought, well, this is what's going on. They're so terrified, the Bible says, they cried out at what they saw. Uh, same verbs used elsewhere to describe the unearthly cries of evil spirits. It wouldn't be wrong to translate it. They screamed uh, at what they saw. They didn't recognize him because they didn't, of course, expect to see him. Any more than you would expect to see somebody uh, out on the sea uh, walking towards you 
in your ship, in your boat. Now, some say, well, wait a minute. Again, here's one of these miracles that, uh, is this really true? How could this be? Uh, some say, well, maybe he wasn't walking on the sea. Maybe we should translate it. He was walking by the sea. And, of course, whenever you see somebody walking by the sea, you scream with terror. Um, the other problem, of course, is that verse 47 uses the exact same language when it says that Jesus was alone on the land. And so no one suggests, well, he wasn't really on the land. Jesus was by the land, you know, in the water. Uh, no, uh, no one suggests that. And I guess really if, um, uh, if you grew up learning uh, the Bible's doctrine of uh, creation, you wouldn't have a problem. Uh, with these uh, miracles, if you were taught, in fact, that God made all things in the beginning by the word of his mouth, out of nothing. And if you knew Colossians 1.15, which speaking of Jesus says he's the image of the invisible God of Jesus, the firstborn of all creation that is in the highest place. For by him, by him, by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him, that's through Jesus, and for Jesus, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. <laughs> so, so if you've been taught as a child that God made the world in six days by the word of his mouth, not out of anything that was made, you don't have a problem with miracles. Or that Jesus would walk on the sea. Why not? Well, because he made the sea. Colossians <laughs> says he upholds the sea. But he's a man. Yeah. But he's God. That's what they, they see. Uh, immediately. <laughs> so Jesus doesn't leave them in their terror, of course. Verse 50. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them. And the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded. But they did not understand about the loaves. But their hearts uh, were hardened. Immediately he spoke to them. It's really tender. He, he talks to them and he says, Take heart. Uh, take courage. Do not be afraid. He literally says, uh, It is I. Or, do not be afraid, I am. Uh, kind of like later in the, in the New Testament, the Gospel of John, where Jesus at one point will say, uh, before Abraham was, I am. Ooh. Or when God is revealing himself to Moses in Exodus 3, and uh, Moses says to the Lord, what do I say to the people when I go there? I mean, they're going to throw me out immediately. And, and the Lord says to Moses, well, you just tell them, I am has sent me to you. The great I am. It is I. I am. <laughs> I'm he, says Jesus, to calm uh, their fears. Now, the point here, of course, is recognizing the presence of Jesus. Take heart, it's I. It's I. Don't be afraid. The point here, of course, is recognizing the presence of Jesus is meant to be enough to banish every fear. Why? Because Jesus is who he is, Lord, God, Redeemer, 
And he is, he is present with us in his love and grace and mercy and compassion. If that's true, fear must fly. Right? <laughs> you know, I think of a, so I was thinking about this passage, I was thinking about that great scene in the, in the Lord of the Rings where the Balrog is you know, trying to take Gandalf down into the pit. And he says to the Fellowship of the Ring, he says, uh, Fly, you fools! Right? And so the Balrog comes, this great demon from the depths. The good, the good folks have to fly. This is the opposite. When Jesus comes, <laughs> it is fear that's supposed to fly. Because he is present in all his glory and in all his, his grace. Perhaps you, you know, perhaps you can relate to something like with in your own, in your life. Perhaps you've had someone in your life that just there, you know, maybe, uh, probably all of us for when we were little kids. You know, we get hurt, we're crying, and, uh, and nobody's, nobody's around. You know, all we want, you know, dad comes, well, that helps a little bit. But what we really want is when mom comes. You know, all of a sudden mom comes and, and the tears stop. Because, ah, she's there. And even if you're in a lot of pain, it's okay. Now that's a, but that's a little taste, isn't it, of what, what's meant to be going on here? It's I, I I'm, he, it, I'm, I'm here. Don't be afraid. And the physical sign, of course, of that truth that Jesus is there, that testifies to the truth of the word of Jesus, uh, follows when he gets into the boat in verse 51 with them, and the wind ceased or stops. And of course, we remember earlier in the Gospel of Mark. Where Jesus spoke to the wind, spoke to the waves, and all became calm. No words necessary here. Just gets into the boat, and all is calm. Said one church father, though, those compulsively protected from risk do not grow strong in faith. You ever think about that? Someone who is compulsively protected from risk or trial or tribulation never grows strong in faith, said one church father. Think about this. Jesus uh, sent them on the sea, which means that in obeying Jesus, in actually doing what Jesus said, it led to trial. Didn't keep them from trial. They don't obey Jesus, no trouble on the water. Here it's obeying Jesus that leads them to being terrified, not only by the, the wind, but by what they see. It's obedience to Jesus. And, and their faith is meant to grow. We find this throughout the scripture. We often find the disciples in trouble, as we're often in trouble. But Jesus is training them, after all, for ministry, for service in his kingdom. But it's a slow process. And here, the Bible says, they are utterly astounded. They can't believe it. Unlike Matthew, uh, who at this point uh, tells us the story of Peter. Happened at the same time. Remember the story of Peter, who, who says, Lord, just tell, say the word and I'll come to you on the water. Matthew tells that story. Mark doesn't. Uh, we understand from church history that Mark uh, gets all that he knows, typically, probably, from the Apostle Peter, as far as the, the story goes. So that, that part, but that part, you know, that's not the thing. It's the whole disciples that Mark wants to put before us. All of them were, it wasn't just about Peter's lack of faith. They were all utterly uh, astounded. He focused on the disciples as a whole. Just why they were astounded. 
which may shock you, in verse 52. For they did not understand about the loaves. Remember the miracle we just read about last week? But their hearts were, uh, were hardened. Huh? I know Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he was an absolutely wicked man. Hmm. Well, the word heart means, you won't be surprised, to grow hard. Uh, but calloused, or it can simply mean dull, where nothing, you know, nothing affects you. Nothing gets into the heart. Not hard fully, it's not fully calloused yet, but it's, it's dull, droopy, asleep. And nothing can get, nothing can get, nothing can get in. Uh, now, we shouldn't be surprised by this, actually, because a number of times in the Gospel of Mark, uh, where Jesus uh, calls the uh, disciples to account for a lack. So, for instance, in Mark 40, uh, Mark 4, sorry, verse uh, 40, this is when he calmed the storm the first time in Mark 4. He said to them, to the disciples, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? So now that they didn't have any faith, they believed in Jesus, but there it was, have no faith that I can handle this? After what you've seen, um, even later in the Gospel of Mark, this, this problem doesn't disappear. Um, there's a boy with an unclean spirit, and uh, the disciples just can't, can't deal with it in Mark 9:17, Someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute, and whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out. They were not able and he, that is Jesus, answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. Now he's talking about the disciples. <clears throat> they didn't know. Not that they had no faith, but they were lacking faith that Jesus could in fact work through them as he had promised um, he would. Uh, the disciples were not unbelievers. They were not Pharaoh. They were not the folks in the synagogue of Mark 3, 4 to 5. Remember that? When Jesus heals somebody with compassion and, um, and there's folks who get mad at him because their hearts were hardened. They're not that. And yet later on in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, we will read this in Mark eight fifteen. And he cautioned them, that is the disciples, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they, that is the disciples now, this is Mark 8, down the road. And they began discussing with one another the fact they had no bread. Right? So Jesus says, Beware of the, the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And then the disciples start talking about, Wait a minute, what's going on here? Is there a problem with their bread? They're not getting it. Ah. Uh, and Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? And then he said this, Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? Remember what? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said him, Twelve. Yeah. And the seven, we're going to read that another time. And the seven for the four thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? 
In other words, Jesus is saying, weren't you there all this time? Didn't you see what I did? Didn't you see the, you know, the five feet and five thousand feet and the four thousand? Uh, do you not yet understand? In other words, Jesus is saying to them, uh, have you not yet uh, put uh, two and two together? Have you not uh, understood? The Lord was teaching. He was testing. He had commanded them to go out on the water. He was training them. One day they would understand. One day they would be bold, courageous, and fearless. Friends, listen, we are all pupils. We are all pupils in the school of the Master. Always teaching us to see Jesus, to recognize Him for who He is, for our daily walk and living with Him, and to remember all that He has done. So that we would not, not be afraid, uh, not, be, uh, uh, not be despondent, uh, but we would recognize him. The question is, do we have hard hearts or calloused hearts or dull hearts despite what we've seen? Or uh, soft hearts to recognize him? Well, this is the unseen Jesus. The disciples are still struggling. But this passage also tells us about Jesus being, being recognized. We have the unseen Jesus. His hearts can be dull despite all the testimony. Uh, There's also the recognized Jesus. Notice what happens when they hit the shore in verse 53. When they had crossed over, they came to the land at Gennesaret around Capernaum. And they moored to the shore. When they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him. Notice the difference. And they ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people, that is, uh, those who had it bad. To wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, villages, cities, countryside, means fields, laid the sick in the marketplaces. The word is uh, agora, the the, the center of town and in many cities, but the open square. And they implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it uh, were were made well. This is truly a beautiful, a beautiful scene. Jesus emerges from the boat on the land, and the people in the area, the Bible says, immediately uh, recognize him. Now, the word recognize means to, to see something, uh, but to, to know uh, by experience, past experience, what you're looking at. And so you might, see, you might see somebody that you've never met. You don't recognize them, right? You see them. Oh, first time. Oh, you're visiting with us. Wonderful. Great to see you. When you recognize someone in the church, say, oh, I recognize you. I know you. I've spent time with you. I know a little bit about you. Right? So recognize is to, uh, to know by experience. Who were these folks? Well, they were around Capernaum where Jesus had done all his mighty works. They were, when he comes off the boat, they see him and they say, we know you're the one who, who people came to and you welcomed all and any and, and they were made well. I remember you. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to run through my whole region here. Gather up everybody who is uh, sick. Uh, everyone who, uh, who has it. Uh, has it bad. That's what sick people literally means. Those who had it bad. Do you know anyone like that? Maybe they've got it bad physically. Maybe they've got it bad mentally. Maybe they've got it bad 
uh, financially, maybe they got it bad morally, maybe they've got it bad spiritually. And uh, they recognize Jesus and say, I'm going to gather everybody I know who's got a need. And I'm going to get them to wherever Jesus is. I'm going to take them from wherever they are to get them to wherever Jesus is. Because I know that if I can get them, all those who have it bad, and you know the secret's out already in the Bible, you all have it bad. I have it bad. Your neighbor has it bad. We've all got it bad. (laughs) Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. So there's nobody you know who doesn't have it bad. And so the Bible says, when you recognize Jesus, what do you do? You gather up all those folks. You get them where, where Jesus is. You know, of course, no hospitals these days in Mark 6. No nursing homes. To, you know, they'll take care of it. They don't, have the, they don't have the medicine of today. Many, many needy people in so many uh, different ways. Friends, this is the message of Christmas. And we must never forget it. It is good. It is good to give gifts to one another. And remember that Jesus is the the greatest gift we could ever have from God. It is good to gather with family uh, and eat tasty meals. Oh, these are all gifts from God that we enjoy together. It's good to enjoy greenery and poinsettias. Uh, These are all good things. And the changing seasons. But always remember, friends, to celebrate the birth of Jesus is to celebrate the Savior who has come to rescue us from sin and its consequences and all the badness (laughs) uh, through his life and death and resurrection. Because I have it bad, and so do you, and so does your neighbor, so do all your kids. And you need to get them from wherever they are to wherever Jesus is. That they might be made well. It is not, Christmas is not, not about having a vague, warm, cozy feeling wrapped up in your blanket with Jesus nowhere to be seen. Oh, for many in our country, that's what it is. And they love all the greenery and things like that. And Jesus is nowhere to be seen. They still got it bad. They, aren't just, they just aren't looking for, to get to wherever Jesus is so that they can find the answer. We need to tell them where the answer is found. More than that, we need to gather them up and bring them to Jesus. Lord, Savior, King, Redeemer, Prophet, Priest. Uh, Bring them to Jesus. No one can come to the Father, said Jesus, except through me. So we need to ask, how are we doing that? How are we we doing with that? Finding people wherever they are to bring them wherever Jesus is. Recognizing Jesus ourselves as the answer to our greatest and deepest need, not just physical, because even if we were healed physically, we will still die. 
Our greatest need is to know eternal life. Not just physical healing, which we pray for. God grants in His time, if it be His will. We need spiritual healing so that when our end comes uh, and we face the judge, we can face the judge knowing that Christ has paid it all. And that we have life eternal. As many as touched the fringe, the corner, the hem of His garment were made well. All who came to Him, all who came in faith, we read about that earlier in the Gospel of Mark. That woman who comes through the crowd. Lots of people were touching Jesus. But it was that one woman who came through the crowd who touched him. And Jesus said, your faith has made you well. He came to Jesus knowing, recognizing who he was in all his, in all his glory. I need to do that as an individual. We need to do that as families, gathering up our children, taking them wherever they are, bringing them to Jesus. Bringing them to the worship of God. What a, what a sad uh, neglect of the covenant people of God. When we ignore the greatest needs of our children, providing them with every other need we can think of at Christmas. But never taking them to the one place where they will hear of the answer to all their needs. Oh, it's a sad thing. It's expected in the world. should not be found among the people of God. Bring your children to Jesus, to hear him, speak through his word, and to be with his people, that they might recognize him too as their Savior and as their Lord. No one who comes to Jesus according to the Gospel of Mark, having faith and trust in him, recognizing him, we've seen all he's done in this Gospel, recognizing him as both man, fully man, and fully God, the one who creates uh, bread to provide for the needs of all. The one who walks on the land and on the sea with no difference in between. Uh, when we see him for who he is uh, and come to him, no one, says the Gospel of Mark, was ever disappointed. You know, the, the Gospel of Matthew, as this story ends, uh, it says that the, uh, the disciples, after they were utterly astounded, after Jesus got into the boat, after the all was made, uh, all was made, uh, home. The Bible says they, they worshipped him. And they said, truly, <laughs> well, they still struggle, but truly, this is the Son of God. And they worshipped. This is what we must do at Christmas. Worship the one who has come, Lord of creation, Lord of land and sea. When folks come to him in faith, even to touch the hem of his garments, the fringe of his garments, in faith, looking to Jesus, all are made well. May that be true of you. May that be true of me, that I've come and just put my faith and trust in him. May it be true of all those we love this Christmas season, that we would take them wherever they are to bring them to wherever he is. Let's pray. That's it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for his coming. We thank you that as we are able to walk with the Lord Jesus in the gospel of Mark, from a baby to childhood to manhood in his ministry, oh Lord, help us to recognize him. When we see him, Lord, to remember, we've seen him before. We've seen what he said and heard what he said. We've seen what he's done. 
That we would remember the load. We would remember the, the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. We would remember the, the healing of all those who were sick who came to him in faith and trusted him. Trusting that he is Lord of all. Oh Lord, may we recognize him today. And in these weeks to come, as we celebrate with family, as we sing the wonderful Christmas hymns, uh, Lord, we pray that we would not uh, have the Lord Jesus in all his glory be sung about, but go unrecognized in our own hearts and in our own life. Help us to bow down then and worship him for who he is, Savior, Lord, King. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.